The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. As we get started this morning, I, I was reminded this week of why we celebrate Memorial Day, kind of what Alan was talking about in his prayer. Um, my, my grandmother got a very special honor this week at, at the California Women's Conference. She was given a replica flag from the one that you see up there from Iwo Jima. Um, she was given this because my grandfather, her husband, who, who passed away back in 1996, was there that day and saw that flag being raised as a Navy chaplain. Darn it. <laughs> 1996 was the year my grandfather died. It was also the year that I was called into ministry. And so I felt like that mantle uh, of this Navy chaplain and this pastor was being passed on to me. So I get emotional when I see that picture. Um, (laughs) Darn it, I did not expect this. All right. The, the thing about this, it was an extreme honor for my grandmother, but it was also a reminder. My grandfather buried 240 members of his unit that day um, that, that died in, in, on that day that that flag was raised. And so it's a reminder to us all of the sacrifice that so many have given for our freedom. And so for all those who've served, for all those who've lost loved ones or lost something else, um, we do thank you and we honor you today on this Memorial Day. I think, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I, norm- I normally pray after I read scripture, but I think I'm going to pray right now to, and uh, see if I can get my composure back. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you in advance for the word that we're going to read from your scripture, and we pray that you would really enlighten our hearts today and help us to see this commandment in a light that really helps us to, to understand and look forward in, in our world today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we've been studying the Ten Commandments here on Sunday mornings in a series called Love Rules. And these commandments teach us how to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all of our strength. And they teach us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Last week, we started in that first table of commandments, the ones that teach us how to love God with everything that we have. And we talked about that first commandment, which says, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Today, we're going to get to the second commandment, which really builds upon the first. But in order to do that, uh, I want to tell you a little story about a blogger from Canada. His name is Kyle McDonald, and he accomplished something eight or nine years ago that's actually really remarkable. It all started with a red paperclip, a a picture of this red paperclip that he put on his blog and then also on Craigslist. And he asked is there anybody out there who'd be willing to trade me for something bigger or better than this paperclip? So after a little bit of time, these two women in Vancouver, they offered to trade him for a pen shaped like a fish. And so that's what he did. He, he took this pen from, from these women, and then he took a picture of it, and he put it back on Craigslist, and he said, will anybody trade me something bigger or better than this? And then he found somebody in Seattle who would trade him this really funny-looking doorknob. And so that's what, that's what came next. This process continued for almost a year. He made 14 trades in all. And he progressed from things like a camp stove to a recording contract to a year's rent. 
on the 14th and final trade, he landed a house in Kipling, Saskatchewan, valued at $50,000. You can see the red paper clip out in front of it there. <laughs> now, there is a man who got something way bigger and better than anything that we all could have imagined from just making some trades on Craigslist. Some of you have got an idea right now. <laughs> bigger and better. That is basically the message of the second commandment. The second commandment reminds us that God is bigger and better than anything that we could possibly imagine. And it tells us to trade in our small, tiny, minuscule ideas about who God is for an understanding of him that is infinitely larger. So with this in mind, I want to invite you to read along with me once again, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read verses 4 to 6, and then I have a second passage as well. This is the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's the second commandment. Now, there are some hard things in there, aren't there, as, as we read along. But I want you to recognize that even in this, God is bent towards mercy and he's bent towards grace. Because the positive outcome lasts a thousand generations, about 300 times longer than the negative one. So even here we see this bent towards grace. And now having read this commandment about idols, I want to skip a little bit ahead 12 chapters to Exodus 32 and see what happened just a little while later. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron, his brother, and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they, sa and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. This is God's word. Well, let me kind of unpack this story a little bit for you. In the shadow of Mount Sinai, the nation of Israel waited. Forty days can be an eternity when, you, when your life is on hold and when you're living in between a difficult past and a hoped-for future. Moses had gone up the mountain more than a month ago. He'd gone up to get the stone tablets from the Lord. Now, it was easy for everybody to remember his grand exit. God had called him to the foot of Mount Sinai. He called him to Mount Sinai, and he said, wait, and then this cloud came and covered the top of the mountain. 
And on the seventh day, God called to Moses out of the cloud. And we're told that the glory of the Lord was shining like an all-consuming fire on top of this mountain. So everybody could see it. And then they watched as Moses ascended into the cloud and disappeared. It must have been terrifying to see this happen. What was going to happen up there? Days and weeks passed by and Moses didn't return. I'm sure the people were wondering what happened to him. Had he died? Had he run away? Was he injured or sick? There was no way of knowing and there was no way anybody was going to try to go up there and find out. God had forbidden it and they probably would not have made it very far if they tried. Now what? Their leader was gone. Their very tangible representative of the presence of God had abandoned them, or so they thought. Didn't seem like he was coming back. Now, these people, they were refugees in a foreign land, and they were vulnerable to attack, and they had no idea of what their direct next step should be. What were they going to do? Well, they went to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they said, your brother's not coming back, so we need you to make gods for us. Think about that for a second. Make gods as if humans could fashion a deity. Now, we don't know if Aaron put up much of a fight. The text we read certainly doesn't indicate that he did. He simply told them, bring me all the gold jewelry that you have. And and he melted it down, and then he fashioned it into the form of a calf, the golden calf. Perhaps you've heard of it before. And then they said, these are your gods, the ones who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Tomorrow we'll have a festival to the Lord. And it was during that festival, after 40 days, that Moses came strolling down the mountain. He was holding the two tablets containing the Ten Commandments written by the very finger of God. And what did he find when he got there? He found people dancing around and worshiping this golden calf. I wonder what he was thinking. One of those tablets that he was holding contained the second commandment, the words that say, you shall not make for yourself an idol. The irony of that. So Moses, he took those tablets and he threw them on the ground, breaking them into pieces. And then he went, and this is, this reminds me of like what a really upset dad might do. He, he goes and he grabs the golden calf. He melts it down. He grinds it into powder. He casts it out over the water and he makes everybody drink it. Dramatic much? The Israelites had broken God's commandments. They'd made an idol. You know, it's a good thing that you and I don't do this sort of thing. I mean, we don't make golden calves today. This, this command, it literally tells us not to carve something in wood or stone and, and to sit down and worship that thing. Well, we don't, I, I don't think many of us here worship a golden calf. So I guess we're off the hook. We're done, right? Bring the band back up. I, I, we're, we're safe from all of these difficult messages today. I'm, I'm heading out of here because this is going to be pretty simple, isn't it? This, this command doesn't apply to us, right? Or does it? <laughs> is it possible that this command has something more to say to us? Is it possible that though we don't make these images very often and, and bow down to them, most of us, that this command is about the object of our worship, And in that case, it's not going to be so easy for us, is it, this week? Maybe there is something for us to talk about. 
a close look at this commandment teaches us that there is basically a twofold meaning that's going on here. It's teaching us, first of all, not to make an image or an idol in the form of another God. But it's also teaching us not to make an idol in the place of the God of the universe. Let's talk about the first type of idol really quick. Uh, the one made to represent another God. As I mentioned at the outset, this commandment really builds upon the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And so the second commandment is building upon that and saying we shall not have a physical representation of another God that we might worship. And if you remember last week, then you can remember our personal gods can take on many forms. If we've made material possessions the God of our life, then an idol may take on the form of money or a car or a house. If romantic love is our God, then our idol might end up being a person. If we've made our physical appearance into the God of our lives, then we might make an idol out of the gym or out of food or out of the mirror in the morning. How you doing? When material things are elevated to God-like status in our lives, it sets our lives out of whack. Now, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. And I want you to hear me that. that. We talked about this last week. It's when we take a good thing and elevate it to the place of ultimate importance in our lives that our priorities get out of place. And so we can take a, a good thing like a career or a loving relationship or a financial success and make that the ultimate source of meaning for us. But those things, though they're attractive, they cannot provide for our deepest needs. They can't give us our true purpose. They can't heal our brokenness, and they certainly can't save us from our fallen state. So the first kind of idol is an idol that's made to represent another god in our lives. The second type of idol is one that's made to represent the God of the universe. Now, this is really what distinguishes the first commandment from the second commandment. See, God doesn't just want us to avoid idols of other gods. He also doesn't want us to try to contain who he is in an image. This is what happened with the golden calf. Aaron didn't tell the people that this was a new God. Did you catch what they said? Here is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of slavery in Egypt. What he was doing was making a false image of the God who would save them. The great problem here was trying to contain the infinite, glorious God in a small, finite image. And God is too big for that. He's bigger and better than anything we could possibly imagine. A number of years ago when I was working in student ministry, my wife and I decided that we wanted to uh, put a message on the wall in the youth center at our church. And so it was something we thought would be just a really good message for them. So she went in with paint one day and she began to write, if, that's all she wrote. Once she started writing, she realized that the paint wasn't working quite like she thought it was. And we decided, well, we need to make sure that we do this right. So we waited. And then life got really busy. And so that if stayed on the wall for a while. And each time a student would walk into the room, they would ask a question. They'd say, if, what does that mean? And of course, I'd say, what do you think it means? 
And they would start to say all these different great ideas about what if could be. Kind of like the if conference that some of the women attended here recently for Lovely. They, they started to say, well, if it's about the possibilities. Or they'd say, I think it means what would happen if I started to take God seriously? What would happen if I signed up for the mission trip this year? What would happen if I invited someone to church? Month after month, that single solitary word just stayed on the wall. And whenever a student came back from being gone for several weeks, they'd say, it's still there. (laughs) When are you going to get rid of it? Or when are you going to finish it? They'd get so frustrated. Well, eventually, our leaders decided that the whole room needed to be repainted. And when they did, they painted right over the if. And it never came back. But some of those students, they, they'd come in that were so frustrated, and they said, where did the if go? I really liked it. What was that statement that we were intending to put on the wall in the youth room? It was a quote from a camp director that I once worked with. It's this. If God were small enough for your brains, he wouldn't be big enough for your life. I'll say it again. If God were small enough for your brain, he wouldn't be big enough for your life. God is too big for us to comprehend, too vast for us to grasp. His ways are infinitely higher than our ways. And sometimes that makes us really uncomfortable. We'd rather have a God that we can wrap our minds around. The second commandment protects us from making God too small. That's what happened at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai. With Moses gone, the people needed something that they could see. God wasn't operating in the way that they wanted him to, so they made an image. God wasn't working on their timeline, so they made an idol. God seemed absent, so they made something that they would always have with them and be able to see. J.W. Marshall has said, to fashion an idol is an attempt to reduce God to manageable portions and to assume that God is susceptible to the control of the worshiper. An idol provides a means for containing God. It's a way of manipulating him uh, because an idol can be brought out whenever we want to use it and then put away whenever we don't. An idol is totally at the mercy of the hands of its owner. You know, an interesting thing happened with Moses shortly after the golden calf incident. He went up on the mountain and he said, he gave God this really bold request. He said, show me your glory. And God said to him, well, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim my name to you, but you cannot see my face because no one can see my face and live. This interaction between Moses and God reveals something. I mean, here is like the holiest man on the face of the planet, and he couldn't even see God. Nobody can. Our concepts of God are far too small. We want to limit him to something that can be held and seen and touched. We put God in a box, but God can't be contained in such boundaries. So how do you try to stuff God into a box in your life? Maybe you place limits on his power. You just believe that there are some things that he cannot do, and so you feel totally hopeless in your situation right now. Maybe you put limits on his grace. You are tortured by what your past has been and what's happened in your past, and you believe that there are some things that God just can't forgive. 
Or maybe you put limits on the places and times where God can operate. Maybe he can operate on a Sunday morning in a building, but he certainly can't operate in my workplace or in my neighborhood or in my home. Or maybe you put limits on God's ability to provide for you. And so you look to your security in homes and finances and long-term plans, all of which, again, are very good things. But none of them can offer us eternal security. We can limit God in so many ways. We limit him whenever we try to make him in our own image and believe that he can't do anything that we can't do in our human abilities. And so we say, God can't love more than me. God can't know more than me. We make him smaller and smaller and smaller until he is something that we can relate to and understand. But maybe it's time for us to get comfortable with the mystery of who God is. To look at him and say, you are way bigger than I could ever possibly understand. And you know what? I am totally okay with that. I don't want a small God. In this world where there is hardship and difficulty and pain, I need a God who's big enough to handle everything that comes my way. The second commandment reminds us that our God is exactly that kind of God, a big God. Last week after the service, Katie Rickard came up, came up to me and shared a story with me. Katie is one of our uh, steering team members here at the church. And she came up and she said, I just got to tell you what happened this week. I was driving in a car through my neighborhood when my five-year-old, Ethan, said from the back seat, Mom, where did all these trees come from in the neighborhood? And Katie said, well, people planted those trees in the neighborhood. But in the forest, the trees were planted by God. And Ethan thought for a second and he went... How did God plant all those trees? And Katie replied to him, I don't know. God is so big, I don't understand most of what he does. I guess I'll just ask him when I get to heaven someday. And then Ethan said, I know what he's going to say. A magician never reveals his secrets. (laughs) I love that. At, at five years old, Ethan gets it, doesn't he? He gets that God is big. There's things that God does that we just won't understand. Here's what God said through the prophet Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you get the point? God is bigger than we can ever comprehend. So to review, there are two types of idols that we can have. We can have an idol made in the form of another God, and it can take on the form of money or a relationship or many other things in our lives. Or an idol can take on the form, or we can try to take on the form of God himself. And this is, these are things that we do to make God smaller, more manageable, to not embrace the fullness of who he is. Which kind of idol are you more susceptible to in your life? You know, it's important for us to identify our idols so that we can remove them from that place of of first importance. And the only way to remove them is to replace them with something else, the God of the universe, and to tell God, I want you just 
how you are. I don't need to understand everything about you. I'm not going to try to make you smaller, but you need to take the place of first important. So as we go to prayer this morning, I want you to consider if there is something in your life that is taking that place of an idol, something that's either trying to keep God too small or something that has actually replaced God. So let's go to prayer right now. Close your eyes. I want you to spend just a minute reflecting on that. Is there something in my life that is functioning as an idol? And then if something is revealed to you, ask God to help you remove it so that he can be your all in all. Lord, we thank you for this commandment, and though it was originally given more than 3,000 years ago, I kind of think it still speaks to our hearts today. Lord, there are things about being human that, that kind of, they just continue to repeat themselves. Lord, help us to be a people, a generation that really seeks after you first, that doesn't try to make you smaller, that doesn't look to anything else to fill your role. But Lord, we need your strength to do that. So Lord, give us your Holy Spirit, give us your power so that we might make you first in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me this morning as we close?